Imagine what it would be like to be standing before the throne of God. You know, there's a a question that sometimes has been asked of people, and that is, if you were accused of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? And when we reflect on that question, we might think, you know, how am I living my life? What do other people see? What do they hear? Can they tell that I'm a Christian? But when you really think about that question, it might be one that you might wonder if you're standing before the throne of God, would that be a question that is asked of you? Imagine what it would be like to standing, to be standing before God's throne. Well, we don't have to imagine, because God has told us. In fact, he's told us exactly what the scene is like and exactly what will be spoken. So what he has told us, it will be the final words that we hear in time and the first words that we will hear in eternity. And that makes them lasting words. So this morning, let's reflect on God's final words to us. Yes, we're talking about the end. And sometimes when people look around and and think, well, maybe the end is is getting closer, you might have a scene like this that comes to mind. You know, somebody standing on a street corner with a sign, the end is near. But I like the guy who's passing by what he says. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? I know it's a real thing. And it's a serious thing. Just listen how Jesus described it. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him. And that's why it's serious. Because that includes you and me. We're going to be before that throne. And he will separate the people one from another. Just like a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on the right, and he'll put the goats on his left. Sorry, you chose to sit here. (laughs) When we think of the judgment seat of God, you think of the verdict. Jesus speaks of two verdicts that will be issued that day. The first one is made evident already when there is a separation that takes place, the sheep and the goats. Now, I'm a city boy, so I don't know anything about these kind of animals, so I can only tell you what I've read or what I've seen. But, you know, sheep seem like they're pretty nice animals, right? They're very gentle, they're very soft, they're very cute. They're just out there eating grass, just getting along, playing with all their buddies. (laughs) But we also know that sheep can become very needy also. Uh, They've got to be shown where the grass is and where the water is. They've got to be led to those gentle pastures to lie down. Sometimes they wander away from the group and they've got to be brought back. 
They're also very vulnerable to attacks. And so they need protection. And if they should ever fall down, they can't get up. (laughs) They need somebody to pick them up or they will die. Now, sheep, I'm told, can panic very easily. When, when, when something happens they don't like, they all get all upset and panicky, but they can calm down as soon as they hear the voice of their shepherd because they've learned to trust their shepherd. He's the guy who takes care of them. He's the guy who leads them. He's the guy who feeds them. He protects them. And so they hear his voice, and they follow You see what a beautiful description Jesus gave us of the righteous, of the sheep, who are very dependent on a good shepherd. And that's what we have in Jesus. And they're also responsive. They hear his voice, and they calm down, and they follow. One last time, Jesus will call to us and he'll extend this beautiful invitation. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, and take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Come, Jesus says. He invites us to be with him. It's a gracious invitation, meaning it's based on his kindness, his grace, his love. Because he said, you who are blessed by my Father. You see, the scriptures tell us we will not be judged by God on the basis of what we have done. We're told it's not by righteous things we have done that he saved us, but because of his mercy. And when we look at our lives, and yes, we can see some good things, but we also see the bad that we have done. We wonder how it is we could stand before God. We're reminded that he also tells us that the blood of Jesus, his son, has purified us from all sins. And so we will stand before him bold and unashamed, totally forgiven and covered with the rightness of Jesus. That's the gracious invitation he extends to us. And he says, come and take your inheritance, which has been been prepared for you from the beginning of creation. And that reminds us, too, that heaven is ours as a gift because he prepared it all for us. It's not something we have earned or, or worked up on our own. Prepared from the beginning of creation. You know what that's telling us when the Bible uses that phrase several times? That God was already thinking about us and working for us before Genesis 1, verse 1. Before the beginning of the Bible, God was already working for us. Then the Father created us, giving us life. And though we rebelled against Him and disqualified ourselves from that life and His blessings, He sent his own son into the world to save us, to take our place, living under his laws perfectly for us, then taking the wrath of God 
for our sins upon himself so that it wouldn't be on us. And then rising from the dead so that we too will rise from the dead. And more than that, God would know that we would need to be convinced of that truth to be saved. And so he sends his Holy Spirit into our hearts to give us faith so that we trust in this and to keep us safe as we continue through this life so that we will make it to heaven. We indeed are blessed by the Father. We've been saved and made secure by him. And that's all been God's work, not our own. Now, as Paul, or rather as Jesus goes on, he cites some evidence. That is, he's showing how he can prove to others we're saved and have this faith. Here's what he says. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous are going to answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. He's not saying this is the reason we are let in. He's saying this is proof, evidence of your faith, that it's alive, showing itself in love and service to others. Our good deeds... Our lifestyle of love is simply revealing to others the commitment of faith that we have in Jesus as our Savior. We believe that God did create us in Christ Jesus for doing good works. And now, having heard his pronouncement of innocence upon us, we want to show our thankfulness and reflect his love in what we do in love and service to others. Jesus wants his ministry to others to continue through us. He wants us to be his hands and his mouth and his heart. He wants us to show our faith, to reflect his grace to others, so that they too may know they are restored to God through him. Now, sometimes when when people reflect on life, they, they say things like, you know, life just isn't fair. And, and then sometimes uh, we'll have a tendency to maybe fix blame, right? We'll say, God just isn't fair. They're right. God isn't fair. Because he doesn't treat us the way our sins deserve. He responds to us with grace and love. God isn't fair. He's loving and forgiving. When we look at God's verdict on us, we're going to hear mercy and grace and the inheritance 
of eternal life. Now, is there enough evidence to convict you that you believe this? We believe it. Now he urges us to live that. You heard some of the things he, that Jesus referred to. Those are things we can all do too. In faith, showing love and service to others. In a few weeks is Thanksgiving. That time of the year we always ask people for donations of canned food items and non-perishable food so that we can help feed those who are in need. It's also a wonderful time of the year when we think of God's giving to us, his son Jesus. And so we have great events that are planned and going on. You heard about them before. Christmas for kids, our live nativity, and then the uh, Christmas choir cantata, and all sorts of wonderful services. Those are all opportunities for us to get involved, to do something, to proclaim the gospel to others. It's an opportunity for us to invite others here to hear that wonderful message. Let's live it. That's the evidence that we know God's love for the world and we want to share it so that they will know it too. Now there's a second verdict that Jesus will issue. And again, it starts with that separation for the goats. Now again, I don't know much about goats, only what I read and what I see in the movies. <laughs> but it appears to me that goats are very stubborn animals. Very much driven by their own will. They're going to do what they want to do. And you see that, you know, they use their horns to butt the other goats or animals or whatever out of the way. And they'll just go off on their own. They want to be independent. They're also very selfish and have a huge appetite. You know, if you've seen movies or something, uh, the goat's always eating something and always something it's not supposed to eat. I've been told also that even mother goats will butt their own babies away from the food that's supposed to be theirs so she can eat it. They only think about themselves. You see a reflection of the sin nature in that goat? to be thinking only about the self. I want to be independent, right? I don't need God, and I don't want God, because I want to do this instead. And I want it all for me. And so people become very selfish, uncaring, unconcerned, unkind, and downright cruel to other people. Those are the goats Jesus is talking about. And for them, he speaks a word, not of invitation, but condemnation. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Now, the English language probably lacks words to really describe what hell is like. Eternal fire and suffering and weeping and gnashing of teeth. But just focus on the phrase when Jesus says, depart from me. 
earlier in the Gospel of Matthew, he talked about the judgment also. And he said, to the evildoers, he will say, away from me, I do not know you. That's hell. Being outside of the love and care and blessings of God. And you can describe it any way you want. Fire, gnashing of teeth, whatever. But that is hell. And the reason for it, it comes as a consequence. A consequence of their rejection of God and salvation. They are now in permanent blindness and rejection. It's not that God wants to send them away. In fact, the scriptures tell us just the opposite. God wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Jesus said, how often didn't I want to gather you together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you would not. People send themselves to hell. And understand that this is real. Rejection of God is real. And now Jesus cites the evidence of it. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. And what are the people going to do? The same thing we do when we're accused of doing something wrong. Wait a minute. We'll come up with excuses, right? (laughs) And they also will answer, Lord... When did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, Truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do to one of the least of these, you did not do for me. What he's citing as evidence is simply their lovelessness and their selfishness because they don't know the love of God. Now, it's not hard to look around in our world and to to see all that lovelessness and selfishness in play. But you know what? It might be a little bit harder for us to take a look at ourselves and see that it's there too. Because we don't like to admit that we have that problem as well. But we can be loveless and selfish and unkind and unconcerned and uncaring and cruel, even just in thought. It's sin that damns. But ask yourself this. Might it be a rejection of God? Might it be a lack of appreciation for what he has done to bless you? There's a popular book out called Heaven is for Real. (laughs) But let me tell you, hell is for real too. Jesus said, then they will go away to eternal punishment. Now, sometimes people don't like to hear that, right? That doesn't sound right. If God is supposed to be loving, why would he damn anybody? And so they they push that aside and say, you know, God loves everyone and they're all going to be saved. And it doesn't matter what religion they are. It doesn't matter that they don't do or believe the same things you do. They're going to get there too. 
sad to say, there are even some Christian churches today that are now starting to preach this. That all people are going to be saved no matter what they believe. That just is not true. There's no proof of that. In fact, the scriptures say just the opposite. Hell and condemnation for unbelievers is real. And therefore, we need to take it seriously. Take it seriously for ourselves, first of all. Because here is how it happens. You want to be close to God. And then soon you find, well, you know, not much changes if I'm really not all that close. And then the farther you get, you start to wonder about things, question things, doubt things, deny things, and just don't believe it anymore. Friends, it's a very slippery slope. And we can all be on it if we're not careful. You know, today, uh, the key word in, in medicine is preventive medicine, right? Do these things to stay healthy so you won't get sick or have these problems. Well, the same is true spiritually. Take preventive measures so you don't go on that slippery slope. And it's real simple. Stay connected with God. Go where God comes to you. And he made it real clear where he comes to us, in the word and in the sacraments. So that's where we need to be connected. And to substitute any other activity that takes you away from God is bad health. You're going to see it in illness, in weakness, and death. We call it sin, doubts and denial, and unbelief. It's real and it's serious. Take the steps to stay close to God and be healthy. But realize, that's not just your need. It's also the need that others have as well. You need forgiveness and faith. So does everybody else. This is all for real. Heaven is for real. Jesus says, but the righteous will go to eternal life. Oh, may God help that gracious invitation to just echo in our heads and in our hearts. Come, you who are blessed by my Father, and take the inheritance prepared for you from the creation of the world. That's eternal life. It doesn't get any better than that. And we have God's final word on it. Amen. Amen.